heartbreak and humility. And I know it probably sounds like a hit country song, uh, but the, the thing about the book of Job that's so interesting to me is a lot of people will limit the book of Job to this idea or theme that it's a book of patience. And they'll talk about, oh, the patience of Job. And yet, you're missing out on the entire 42 chapters of Job if that's what you reduce the book to. It's about a whole lot more than just patience. In fact, last week we talked about how it is the oldest book of the Bible. It is the oldest book in the Bible. It is obviously not about creation and not about the beginning, but it's the oldest written book in the Bible, and it answers the oldest question ever asked. Why is there suffering? The oldest book in the Bible answers the oldest question ever asked. Why do people suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? You remember that book back in the 70s? Um, Chapter 1, which is what we discussed last Sunday. I mean, it began on a sour note uh, after it talks about this meeting between God, the angels, and Satan. And it was God who posed the question, have you considered my servant Job? And right after that meeting, Satan is allowed to take some of the great wealth and possessions that Job had because Satan waged, or Satan wagered, that the reason Job was a good person and a man of integrity is he'd been blessed. Take away those blessings and let's see what happens. And that was last Sunday, phase one. We find out that he loses his oxen his donkeys, his sheep, his camels, and even his own children. Tragedy struck the house of Job in a very, very powerful way. I mean, I I know that all of us could uh, give testimony about things that we've been through and challenges we've faced. And there's probably been some challenges that you said, I don't think I can get through this. There's probably been days where you just said, why me? And I'm sure after we concluded Job chapter 1, some of you walked out of here saying, man, I hope this book gets better because that's depressing. (laughs) He lost all of that. And yet, where did we end last Sunday? We ended last Sunday in Job chapter 1, the very last verses. Job fell face down. And worship. Blessed be the name of the Lord. After all the tragedy, after all that he went through, he still worshiped. He still praised. It's real easy to worship God and praise God when things are going great. It's real easy for us to, to talk about the, uh, the blessings of God when things are moving our way, but you're still willing to brag on God when the carpet gets pulled out from under your feet? I hope that you are. Because that's really where our faith is defined. It's in those low points in the valley. When we go through the struggle and the tough times. You ever had the wind just knocked out of your sails? You know, last Sunday, I hope that you understood that when he loses his oxen, donkey, sheep, and he loses his children, all of that happened within a matter of hours. 
You ever gotten bad news after bad news and you don't even have time to recover? You don't even have time to process what has just been told you. This, let's put this in a modern context. This would be like getting a pink slip. <coughs> your, your job is done. You've been fired. You get home and the sheriff's department is there waiting on you to give you a death notification about a loved one. You go into the house and the hot water heater's busted and it's leaking everywhere. <coughs> you go out to the backyard to pet your dog and your dog's dead. <laughs> I mean, really, can you imagine what Job went through just in that one day in a matter of hours? I hope for some of you, I, I hope that you recognize that, that you think sometimes we have this tendency to think we have it worse than our neighbors. We have it bad. We, man, nobody's been through what I'm going through. Nobody would understand. You have that pity party, right? I hope that when you when you concluded with Job chapter one, I hope you realize maybe Job had it a little worse than, than you. Job can relate to getting bad news in such a short period of time, but yet he concluded chapter one with "Blessed be the name of the Lord." He fell face down. He worshipped God in that moment. So now we turn our attention to Job chapter two. Job chapter two. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read. Job chapter 2. This is also round 2. Round 2 of another meeting in another dimension. Round 2 of a meeting between God, angels, and the devil. And so we find in Job chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, one day the sons of God came again to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them to present himself before the Lord. The Lord asked Satan, Where have you come from? This should sound familiar to you that have read Job chapter 1. Satan replied, From roaming through the earth and walking around on it. This, ladies and gentlemen, is his domain. The earth where we reside. You wonder why things are bad. You wonder why the world is dark. You wonder why there's crazy things happening in the, in the world today. Satan is here. This is his domain. Then the Lord said to Satan, by the way, it's limited. It's only for a time, so thank God for that. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? No one else on earth is like him, a man of perfect integrity who fears God and turns away from evil. He still retains his integrity, even though you incited me against him to destroy him without just cause. Skin for skin, Satan answered the Lord. A man will give up everything he owns in exchange for his life. But stretch out your hand and strike his flesh and bones, and he will surely curse you to your face. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power. Only spare his life. Remember what we learned last week. There are limits placed on Satan. There are boundaries placed on Satan. He is not able to do whatever he wants. He has to get permission. He has certain limits. He has certain boundaries. And here's the boundary. You can touch him physically, but you cannot take his life. Very well, the Lord told Satan. He is in your power, only spare his life. So Satan, verse 7, left the Lord's presence and infected Job 
with terrible boils from the sole of his foot to the top of his head. Turn to your neighbor and say, ouch. <laughs> then Job took a piece of broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. His wife said to him, do you still retain your integrity? Curse God and die. You speak as a foolish woman speaks, he told her. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? <laughs> Throughout all this, Job did not sin in what he said. Let us pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I ask God that you speak through your holy word, move through your Holy Spirit, hide me behind that old rugged cross. Today, help this person that's here that needs to identify with suffering, that needs to understand that just because they're going through a trial or going through adversity doesn't mean that you are not present. It does not mean that you don't have a plan. It does not mean that you have turned your back. In fact, it is oftentimes in those trials and in that adversity and in that pain that we draw nearer to you than ever before. Have your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So this is round two. Round two. Satan comes back and has this second meeting, second encounter with God and the angels. And obviously God commends Job because he passed round one. He passed the test. But the devil wants to up the ante. He says skin for skin. I'm just wondering, in a crowd this size, how many people in here have experienced chronic, not just a little pain, not when you stubbed your toe on the coffee table, but how many of you, by show of hands, have experienced chronic pain, meaning pain that is long-term, that is continual over a long period of time? Raise your hand. Look around, people. Look around at how many hands. We didn't violate HIPAA because you gave me permission. Um, chronic pain is a serious thing. When Job is afflicted with these boils, and it called them severe boils, from the top of his head to the bottom of his feet, this is a painful, dreaded affliction. It doesn't necessarily identify exactly what the cause of this was, but you can imagine if you got boils on the bottom of your feet, it would hurt to walk. If you've got boils on the top of your head, you would be in constant pain and aggravation. You can't even lay down. If your feet, if your feet have boils on it, you can't walk. But if you're, the rest of your body is covered, including your back and your head, you couldn't find comfort from even lying down. <coughs> Ladies and gentlemen, listen to what I'm about to tell you. The devil will use pain to mess up your mind. In fact, there is a direct correlation between pain and depression. <coughs> There is a direct correlation between pain and depression. When people experience a severe physical affliction, it affects not just them physically. It affects them emotionally. It affects them spiritually in many cases. Because as they experience that pain, as they go through that, they oftentimes will, will isolate themselves from good people and they will even start distancing themselves from God's Word, from prayer. They will, they will, they will not feel 
And remember what we know about feelings, they're fickle. They will not feel close to God. They will not feel like praying. They will not feel like going to church. And so in those days of adversity with dreaded pain, oftentimes they will go down a slippery slope of spiritual dryness. So if you are experiencing chronic pain, if you are experiencing like Job of severe trial, I need you to understand that the devil behind the scenes is manipulating. And he is controlling things because he is well aware of the connection between pain, how you feel, and how you are. He, he, the devil knows that connection. So if he can get you down physically, he gets you down emotionally. He gets you down spiritually. Now that you're aware of that and you recognize that Satan perhaps in your own life or in your family's life or in your neighbor's lives has done things and caused things to happen, this will help better prepare you for the battle. Job was not aware that there was a meeting between God and the devil where his name was brought up. You sometimes are not aware of meetings that come up that happen where you are the subject of conversation. But that doesn't mean it's not real. Just because you don't see it. Just because you don't know about it, right? And so watch this. Joe goes through this after losing possessions. After losing all of his animals. After losing his children. He wakes up and he's covered in a skin affliction. Boils. And he hurts so bad. And he feels so miserable that did you catch where he went to? We use this expression all the time. I'm down in the dumps. Down in the dumps. You ever been down in the dumps? When it tells you that Job... In fact, look again. Draw attention to where, it's, where it tells you that he went. <clears throat> it says there, Job... <clears throat> In verse 8, Job took a piece of broken pottery. There's your first clue. Broken pottery. Where is he? There's broken pottery. Let me get a mental image here. Let me establish a visual for you. Broken pottery to scrape himself while he sat among the ashes. Clue number two. So I'm somewhere where there's a bunch of broken pottery, and I'm somewhere there's a bunch of ashes. Here's your sign. He's in the city dump. He went to the city dump where they burned all their garbage. And this was before the days of the EPA. This was before the days of climate change. They would go outside the city gate, dump all of their refuse, all of their trash, and they would set it on fire. In fact, right outside of Jerusalem is a place called Gehenna. Gehenna, right outside of the city walls of Jerusalem, that's where they burned continually. There was always something on fire, always something burning. And Jesus looked over there one day, pointed at it, and used it as a reference for hell. This fire that never went out, this fire that always burns, that was the city dump. Outside of the city walls, a place where there's a bunch of broken pottery and a bunch of ash. He was in the city dump. Ladies and gentlemen, Job was down in the dumps. He was down in the dumps and he was depressed and he picks up a piece of broken pottery because there's such an inflammation from that boil. It is swollen. Mm. Turn to your neighbor and say, ew. 
and he's swollen and he needs some relief. So he uses the pottery not to harm himself, to relieve the pressure from the boil. He's willing to take a nasty piece of broken pottery and cut to relieve that pressure. Ladies and gentlemen, he's in pain. He's hurting and he's in the city dump. He's isolated himself and he's covered from head to foot. He is covered and afflicted and he's cutting himself just to get a little relief. Just to get some relief from this. Have you ever been down in the dump? And you just needed a little good news. You just needed a little relief. And lo and behold, Job's wife, <laughs> she says, What's wrong with you? Why don't you just curse God and die? Now, before you go, judging her, and before you go, giving her a bad name, she just lost ten children. Seven boys and three girls that she brought into this world. Gone. Any of you that have ever had to go through what my parents went through, the loss of a child, that's tough. That's real tough. She lost ten of them. And one day. So before you go getting on Joe's wife, well, she wasn't very supportive. <laughs> she wasn't an encourager. Mm. You think you would be after losing 10 children? She believes that death is better than the pain that her and Job are experiencing from the loss of children and now these dreaded boils. She says, why don't you just curse God and die? I know it seems harsh. She says, do you still retain your integrity? Are you still a man of good character is what she's saying. His question back to her might seem a little critical, but I'm going to give you another way to look at it. You speak as a foolish woman speaks. He didn't call her a fool. He says, you're speaking out of character for who you are. What she said did not line up with who she was. He didn't call her a fool. And he didn't say, you know, you're all nag, 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 nag. <laughs> he didn't say that. He said, you're speaking as a foolish woman, meaning that normally when she spoke, it was not as a foolish woman. Normally she had good words. Normally, So in other words, what he's saying is, you're acting out of character. There's, there's something different about you. So don't get it twisted. He says, you, you speak as a foolish woman, and then look at this next theological statement. This is something you ought to underline or highlight if you believe in doing that in your Bible. Should we accept only good from God and not adversity? Should we only take the good? Should we only be on the mountain? Is God only the God on the mountain or is He also God in the valley? Should we not accept both the, the good things in life and the bad things in life? That doctrinal statement is what you ought to stake your claim to. Your faith ought to be founded on something that good days and bad days do not change my faith. My faith is on Jesus, not on how I 
feel. Not on what I'm going through. Not whether it was a good day or a terrible day. What was that book that we used to read our children? The, something, the terrible day, worst day in the world type day. Huh? Alexander's horrible, terrible day. Yeah. Well, there's so much doctrinal and theological truth in that book because, you, you know, there are going to be days where you wake up and you stub your toe on the coffee table going to make your coffee. And you spill the coffee cup on the way back to your chair. And you turn on the TV and all it is is some blessed British funeral. <laughs> And, and then you get on the road and, and you realize that you forgot to get gas. And, and, and then the traffic, uh, you know, avoid airline driving Benton. Hello, somebody. And then you get to work and someone says something mean or critical. And then you go to lunch and you look in a mirror and you got a big booger hanging out of your nose that was there all day. And you got toothpaste right here. And you order your food, and it comes to the, to the table, and it's got a bug in it. You see what I'm saying? There's going to be days where you're like, why did I wake up? I want a do-over. I bet Job wanted a do-over. I bet Job wanted to go back to before the, all of his cattle and sheep and donkey were stolen. I bet he wanted to go back before... The tornado came before the fire burned up the ship. I bet he wanted to go back. I bet he wanted to do over. There's days. But you know what? God is sovereign. God is in control. And even when you don't get it, even when you don't understand, he's still in control. He still has a plan. And you may not can see it from this side, how it's all going to work out. And there's no doubt about it. You may even think, well, I wouldn't have done it that way. <laughs> and you might even think, this side of heaven, you may not get those answers of why that death happened when it did or why that bad news struck you when it did. There are some things which shall remain a mystery according to the book of Deuteronomy. And I'm okay with that. You may not be okay. But at some point, you've got to look to Job as an example. Covered in boils, he tells his wife, we accept the good and the bad. Did he like having boils? Did he like losing ten children? No. But he understood that God is in control. He understood that God has a plan. When we suffer... Sometimes our loved ones can offer a shoulder for us to cry on or they can help ease that burden. But in this case, she says, why don't you just curse God and die? Again, her depression turned to anger. How many of you know that, that depression is just anger turned inward? It's anger turned inward. That's what depression really is. That is most simplistic. And she's obviously dealing with the anger, the grief, and the depression. But I want to show you, in Scripture, <laughs> Job's friends. Because in, in Job chapter 2, these friends that we're going to learn a lot about over the next several weeks, 
if they had stuck to this plan, everything would have been a whole lot better. So let's pick up in verse 11. Verse 11 of Job chapter 2. Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuite, and Zophar the Namanite, heard about all this adversity that had happened to him, each of them came from his own home. That's a friend, ladies and gentlemen. They came from miles away to check on Job when they heard about what he was experiencing. Do you check on your friends? They met together to go and, watch this, sympathize with him and comfort him. When they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. These boils changed his outer appearance. Turn your neighbor and say, he was ugly. <laughs> they wept aloud, and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head. It's a sign of mourning. And look at this next verse. If they had stuck to this, it would have been so much better. They then sat on the ground with him seven days and nights, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. Why do you feel the need to talk when someone is going through a tragedy? I, people will always say, well, <clears throat> sometimes I just don't know what to say. And then 20 minutes later, they've not stopped talking. <laughs> it's, and listen, I, I love you, and you have the best of intentions, but sometimes people will say God-awful stuff. They'll look at a person that literally hours ago just lost someone, and they'll say, well, at least he's in a better place. <laughs> now, I know what you mean when you say that, but don't say that. Don't say that. Because a better place in that moment is sitting right beside their loved one. I know what you mean. And I know your heart. But don't say that. Don't say that. Let me tell you something. I learned in seminary, in fact, in a grief counseling class, this guy was so wise. He used to be a chaplain. I've been a chaplain. He was a preacher. He had a vast experience. And he taught the grief and counseling class at New Orleans Baptist Theological Seminary. And he said, I'm going to give you the three H's. Three H's when someone goes through a tragedy. Three H's. You ready? If you're writing down, you might want to write these down. The first H is hang out. Hang out. Go to that person's house. Go to the visitation. Go to the funeral. Go to wherever the scene is. Go and hang out. That's your first H. The second H is hug. A hug communicates what your mouth is not capable of. A hug is comforting. People need physical contact. People need touch. People need to know that you're there. So you hang out, you hug, and then the third one and most important one, hush. Hush. People will remember your presence more than your pontificating. People will remember you being there more than what you said. So why do you feel the need to lecture? Why do you feel the need to say all this stuff? 
They're not in a great place to receive that anyway. They ain't going to remember what you said. Francine Wester went to high school with my mama. And I was at the uh, Grace home over there where Shumpert used to be. Man, it's funny. You get to an age where you start talking about where so-and-so used to be. And uh, my mom was in the later stages of terminal cancer. And um, it was just me that morning. I'd stayed the previous night, and I knew it'd be real soon, and family was kind of on standby. So it was just me and my mom. And uh, unexpectedly, she probably had to leave her house at probably 6 that morning. Francine Wester, who I hadn't seen in years, came in. She's Pentecostal. And she walked into that room and she said, Oh, I sense the presence of angels here. And I said, Wow, how are you doing? And she was there. So guess what? She hung out. She hugged. And then she hushed. And at the point that, that my mom passed, Francine was in the room with me. Entertaining angels unaware. I wasn't alone. And Francine even asked, she said, Honey, I'll, I'll step out and let you be alone. I said, don't you dare. <laughs> don't you dare. So she hung out. She hung out. She hugged. And she hushed. Okay? If Job's friends would have stopped right there. But, but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense. When we get into some of these later chapters and they start pontificating and they start talking about his sin and he needed to confess his sin and the reason you're suffering is because you got something in your life, something that upset God. And they started pontificating all that. Did his suffering change? He was still suffering. At this point, they decided his suffering's too intense. I'm going to keep my mouth shut. They should have been Mirandized. You have the right to remain silent. <laughs> Just be there when people go through terrible times. Your presence will be remembered more than anything. So, here's my question as we close. How do you deal with the grief and tragedies and trials and adversity of life? Does it cause you to kind of drift away from God? If some of you were to be very honest today, you would say, yes, there's been times where because of trials, because of adversity, because of tragedies, I, I did. I drifted, Brother Chad. And that's okay. You confess it and you repent of that. And you recognize that that is actually the worst way to react when you go through adversity and when you go through trial. You need to draw near to God. Closer than you've ever been during those worst days Ever. Because here's what I know and here's what Job knew. Losing ten kids, losing all those possessions, and now being covered with boils all over his body. Job knew this. I can't get through this without God. I can't get through this trial without God. I don't understand it. It doesn't seem fair. Whatever your statement is, but you got to know that you can't get through this without God. That's what Job did. So he drew a little closer. He prayed a little harder. And he 
drew near to God. Let's pray. Most gracious Heavenly Father, ask God that you would be with us during this